This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on my Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch channels with Christoph Konsti, Ukrainian singer-songwriter. And we're going to talk about his latest single, and we're going to talk, uh, actually play for the YouTube audio um, of that of his latest song, One Shot. Um, but we're glad to welcome you to the show. Oh, welcome, Phantom. Uh, I'm very excited to be here today, and I'm really thankful for you uh, to, to let me be featured on your podcast. Well, we love to give indie artists a, a, a place to, to, to be heard because we found <clears throat> that um, there are a lot of people that were interviewing people, but they weren't doing like what we like to do, a free form up to hour long video, um, video um, interviews, kind of like behind the music. If you've ever seen that, like MTV, VH1. The idea is to give an artist, a singer songwriter, an independent singer songwriter, a voice and a place to talk about their work and um, in, in, a, in a kind of no pressure uh, situation where they're often like in their own home studio or we're talking to them in a way they're comfortable. So um, thank you for being on the program. So what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to go into your your video. Um, so I'm going to cue that up and uh, we're going to, you can see one shot is getting ready to go and then we're going to totally go into it. So I'll put you on mute and then we're going to listen to your latest single, which is on Spotify. It's on YouTube and we'll have the links on it. But uh, here we go. We're going to get into that right now. Give me one shot, and I blow it all up, no matter what it costs, I'm asleep in my life. Just give me one shot, and I show what I have, and all the time that I need to fight, team honesty, and I'll give me one shot. No, no, I can't stop, I said all in and I'm a good luck, it's all I can trust, and give me one shot. There's no way like a god, unless my life is under the upper hand, and this is my one shot. My heart is shaking, trying to run my own big hit, there's no opportunity to get my heart into this shit. I'm a Hungarian boy with a big dream in my pocket, wanna entertain the whole world just like nobody ever did. I can't recall what was the reason I started this one Am I just another new one pretending as if we brought the beat It makes big bubble the 21st century Or am I the real one focusing on the victory? I'm 24 years old, I'm a man of anxiety But it comes from the situation, I'm stuck in, I can be free All I ever wanted was to give you a part of me That's exactly what I'm doing when I'm singing this melody Give me one shot, and I blow it all up No matter what it goes, I'm a sneak my life Just give me one shot, and I show what I've got Who's fighting around in a fight, team on a steer up Give me one Shot. No, no, I can't stop. I said all in and I'm a good luck is all I can trust and give me one shot. There's no way back to God, lest my life is under the upper hand and this, this is, is my one, one shot. Like a blinking is the sign for me to start. Curtains go up, you no know, makeup standing in front of the crowd. I'm not the one to God just get some money and calls it done. That's someone who only cares about if he had enough fun. Cause my life doesn't live bad, I never have money problems. It's cool, I was one of the best. I still got most of my friends. I learned that some girls are really deserved it. I don't want to depend on what only if I am buffing. Maybe I should use this possibility as a remedy Let my fantasy be free while I'm singing this melody My face the only thing I trust in my understanding That I must be the face of inequality of the disaster Give me one shot, and I blow it all up No matter what it goes, I'm a sneak my life Just give me one shot, and I show what I've got Bullets flying around in a fight, team on a steer Give me one shot, no, no, I can't stop I said all in and I'm a good luck is all I can trust And give me one shot, there's no way back to God Lest my life is under the upper hand And this is my one shot, let the 
that you know me let me tell you some more words let me tell you to a freaking belly i wanna be heard i'm pretty sure i need no less than a miracle with making people listen to my music in the whole world don't get me wrong that's not a song that's been really need i wanna sing everything right out from my soul and i mean it when i say it one day it won't be just a chance me i'm gonna have for people who have seen the god the worst things one day you always see a man come from a small town failure wasn't an option for him he's become a pop star no i'm not a clown and when you see me wearing crown you remember back i was that man who asked for that damn shot And I blow it all up no matter what it goes I'm singing my life just give me one shot And I show what I've got to say and I in a fight team on a stage give me one shot No no I can't stop I said all in and I'm like you like is all I can just give me one shot There's no way that I got this my life is under the upper hand and this is my one shot So that was Christoph Konsti and One Shot, and we'll be back right here again. So that's a pretty cool, cool. I mean, I like that song because it's got um, like an American pop vibe. Kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Justin Bieber. It reminds me of some some other, you know, like 90s type of pop stars. Um, and it's got like a 2000s feel too, but it's got the you know, 2000s, late 90s. So is that, that what you were going for? Um, yeah, actually, I I love American uh, music, like in the pop industry. So this is why I started writing in English because I want to reach out to as much people as I can. And I'm actually from Hungary, not from Ukraine. Oh, uh, sorry, and, uh, sorry about that. No problem, no problem. And uh, well, Hungarian is a beautiful language, but just not that many people speak it. And I want to be able to talk to a bigger crowd through my music because actually this is why I started everything. And uh, well, one shot, as you could hear the lyrics, it's all about me, uh, why I started, who I am, what my goals are, what I want to achieve with my music. And, and it's a very important song for me I wrote it in 2019 and um, <clears throat> I started it actually, I wrote the first two lines in October and then I just dropped it because I was like, oh man, no, this, this won't work. You can't write the lyrics like that. And then in December, something inspired me. I don't know. I don't remember what exactly, but then I was like, I just started writing and it was like an hour to put together the whole lyrics. It was just when you get uh a muse and yeah yeah the muse is kind of like you know you never but sometimes as a as a I think as singer songwriters we can be our own worst critic you know a lot of times like when i've talked to singer songwriters and i'm you know a writer myself i'll, I'll do something and then i'll say well, like I'll, I'll have second thoughts about it and then i'll like put it on the shelf and then it's like i'm not ready in my head to like yeah. release it but then later I might like go back and look at it and I said, well, you know what? I don't know why I had any hesitation and now I feel good about it. And then you put it up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that happens to me uh, very often actually too. Yeah, I think that's very true what you said that we are uh, our own uh, critics. Yeah, I think it's just if you're a writer, like you're gonna be kind of self-judging and then you're you're kind of critical especially when you're a singer songwriter you're not you know you're kind of doing everything yourself and um 
you're not sure. Cause like if when you're in a band and you've got like a band situation, you got other people to bounce stuff off and then they can kind of rest the band and say, Hey, that that's working. That's not working. But then when you're by a singer songwriter kind of self, um, you know, one person operation, then you've got more responsibility and then you got to like uh, think about it in a deeper way. Um, and then you yeah, bounce it off your friends or bounce it off other people or put it on some SoundCloud and see how, how it works. And does people do, do they hit it? Do they understand it? Um, it's interesting, but let me get into the questions. So what we usually ask every artist we talk to is like, like when did you first get into music? Like what age? Um, well, I think I was seven or six or something like this, but not into pop. I started playing the the trumpet when I was seven. Yeah, I saw that. And so you went to school for that too. Yeah, uh, I don't know how it works in uh, America or in other lands, but in Hungary, we have a lot of uh, music schools mm -hmm. for little children and uh, where they can actually learn music on like the basics mm -hmm. we have secondary schools too for like musicians who want who want to be professional uh, professionals already so from the age of 14 most of the musicians hungary have they already started uh taking it seriously and then we have of course uh colleges for music and um, well, in my case, it was I swam when I was uh, younger and I played the trumpet, but the most priority had uh, learning like uh, I wanted you just to do regular a, studies. Yeah, like uh, I wanted to become a doctor, actually. Until oh, wow. So you're going on that track to be a doctor. That's a heavy track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when I was 17, I uh, played a concert with the trumpet uh, in an award ceremony or some kind of thing like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they clapped me back and there I saw uh, the faces of the people and the effect music had on them, music, what I played mm -hmm. had on them. And it just made me feel like, like, you know, cons uh, considering started, I started considering that maybe I should, uh, rethink it and rethink it because yeah, <laughs> yeah. And not, not, not push it. If like, I felt in my soul that I wanted to learn music and have this effect on people, like giving them this kind of happiness, uh, and yeah when i was 18 i changed my secondary school to a musical like to a music school music okay school. like i think at berkeley like in the us like berkeley is like the big music school but so i, I would imagine it's kind of like that maybe yeah uh berkeley is a college isn't it yeah berkeley there's like berkeley college of music that's very very yeah. specific it teaches yeah. you like all the different forms and stuff that i, mean, I didn't yeah. go there i wanted to go there <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I didn't change to this kind of uh, college in that moment when I was 18. I started uh, studying in a secondary school, uh, but it was like 
only for music or for mm. musicians who want for people who want to become professional musicians yeah yeah that's kind of like what uh, berkeley is <laughs> yeah and the, but then after that i graduate uh, i uh, did an audience to the state university of music and performing arts in stuttgart mm. and that was the college that was the good way you where you went so that that teaches like music theory you know, you know production techniques and everything like learn how to use a DAW and learn how to compose yeah. you, know, you know do the you know business aspects i guess they teach now too but um so so the so from there um you you transitioned from the trumpet to more like full production like a producer level singer songwriter so when you moved from the trumpet did you move on to like you know midi keyboards or synthesizers or guitars I mean, what what do to be a pop star do you suddenly transfer to different instruments or are you doing it all through the daw um actually when i was 15 i had a band mm -hmm. we found it with uh, three friends of mine it was a rock band um and uh, there i started uh, writing songs already but then i just put it on pause uh, say it like that um that's not true. I wrote a lot of songs to my girlfriends too, but they were. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but did you have to like guitar and piano when you went to the rock band? Yeah, and when uh, rock was a very big love of mine, mm -hmm. uh, when I was like fourteen mm -hmm. until I was eighteen, actually, it was very. It had a very big influence on me. And yeah, I love the guitar. So I started it, uh, started learning it uh, by myself from YouTube videos and so on. Did you find that guitar is a better writing instrument for pop music than a trumpet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did actually. Yeah. And, and, and beside trumpet, I had to learn and then later study uh, piano too. So I played mm -hmm. piano. Yeah, I think yeah. the writing, the major writing instruments are like piano and guitar. Like if you're gonna be a singer songwriter, like piano or guitar, if you can do both. Piano, like me, I'm I'm a keyboardist. So I can kind of do everything from that. But um, yeah. yeah, I think it just it, it. I think if you're gonna write a song that's gonna affect people, it seems like guitar and piano are the two instruments that really let you don't you know focus on crafting yeah. a song, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and. Um... Actually, with production and with like producer things, I started last year, so it wasn't that uh, fast for me. I was afraid when I'm quite. <laughs> I was afraid that uh, that it's, that yeah, it's, it's too difficult for me, and so on. And then when Corona kicked in, I felt like, okay, first off, it's time for you to do something new because you have. Well, it's time. kind of like it's the do-it-yourself situation is is kind of a necessity. I didn't necessarily want to be a producer. I was in bands when I was seventeen. Um, everybody stopped showing up. Everybody, people got married to, to whatever they're going to do, and I I still wanted to write music. So I just I suddenly got like a Fostex recorder. I got sequencers. I started building, getting tons of synths, and then I said, "Well, you know, how am I going to put these together?" And I started like looking into things and it's like and i read all these documentaries and i was like okay you mean i watched them and stuff 
and, and I said, well, I got to get a mixer. I've got to get some, you know, some, some, uh, you know, different types of effect systems and processors and all kinds of stuff. And so over 20 years, I just kind of figured out how to be a producer by just doing it. Um, and because like I wanted to make my own music kind of, so I kind of fell into it. And this was all before DOS. You know, I was using a lot of machines. Like I still use a lot of 24 track hardware recorders. Even though I have access to DAWs, I kind of like the old school way of using like a hardware recorder because I like the idea of just recording right at the instrument. And then later I'll go bring it into something. But a lot of my stuff is all done on hardware like recorders like Tascam 24s and Zoom R24s and stuff like that. But um, I, I understand why people get into DAWs because you can, you know, digital audio workstation, you can really do what you want. So when you start learning production, what's your digital audio workstation of, of uh, choice? What do you use, Logic or? I use Ableton. Ableton, uh, okay. Ableton Live 10. And um, actually, I started using it, as I said, last year. It was, it was one year ago, actually, now, somewhere. How did you find that you were intimidated by it? You said you were kind of intimidated. Were you just like the, the, the choices or the technical nature of it? What was intimidating about it? Um, as I said, I had too much time and I had a lot of songs. So I felt like, okay, it's time to start recording myself learning how to record myself, how to produce. Actually, uh, at the beginning, I just wanted to be able to record it. Mm -hmm. I see what I play on the guitar so I could send it to a producer. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I started watching videos about EQing, uh, mm -hmm. compressoring, uh, like using a compressor and mm -hmm. And every other audio effect that we have. Yeah. In a, so in then a, you started getting interested in it. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It was like, oh my god, this is a wonder world. <laughs> well, you think about and, it like if you think about the past, right? Musicians had to go to a studio to actually get something done. And now, yeah. if you've got a computer, if you got a Mac, if you get an audio interface. If you buy some synthesizers and buy a guitar, right, that you can actually not have to book studio time and actually get your demo to a level that you never could have done before. You know, you're talking about in the 70s, even the 80s, it was very difficult until they get to the 90s and you get the first like Pro Tools and stuff to, to actually get studio level sound from home. It was very difficult. Uh, and now a lot of people can actually produce very high quality stuff that you never could have done before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, this is something that uh, changed the whole industry, I think. Yeah, because it's like, like everybody has access to these things. Everybody can have them. And then you can learn them. I uh, take part in a, a, co a course, like a producer course, Mm -hmm. by uh, Il Factor, okay. the Beat Academy, and he has 15 years of experience with pro production in the yeah. industry, he worked with very big artists, and, and he tells us all the time that it's amazing that when he started, 
learning how to produce music, it was uh, much diff more difficult than it is right now. Like, yeah, I mean, they're like the gatekeepers. The same thing. Yeah, exactly. What you just said, it was just quite another game. Yeah, it's hard to get to a board. You know, in order to get to those boards, you had to get past the gatekeepers. You know, you got to get to Olympia Studios or Electric Lady. You got to go to, you know, uh, Sound City. They had these, you know, famous studios. And if you couldn't get on a Neve board or you couldn't get on one of these really awesome analog boards, like you couldn't really, you know, if you can't go to Berkeley and take, you know, recording engineering, you know, become a recording engineer class or become a music director, right? You didn't have access to the stuff. So the only way you had access, if you're like in a rock band and then you've got your guy running your mixing council and then you kind of like, okay, well, I'm starting to kind of learn it from gigs. And then, then you later, you're like, okay, I go to a pawn shop and I find one of these. And then you start going in the garage and recording your band, like your punk bands. I think a lot of punk bands, you know, like, you know, I was into like labels back in the day, like SST and IRS. We had bands like Who's Could Do and The Replacements and Buzzcocks and all these like lo-fi bands. Kind of like the stuff that was on Sub Pop, like with Nirvana. Right? They, they didn't just say, hey, we can be lo-fi. Right. We can use some of this old equipment and we can just put stuff together. And um, I kind of came from out of, that. <clears throat> out of that. I was like into punk bands. A lot of my early bands were like Clash, a little bit like Joy Division type of sound, you know, or New Order type of sound, early New Order. So it's it like this kind of post punk thing where we were kind of, then we started to bring keyboards into it. Cause that's why I like bands like Joy Division and New Order and Depeche Mode, uh, you know, even today like Magua and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I just was very entranced, like, okay, well, I can just do it yourself, right? And this is before the DAW. We would just go get Tascams and Fostex recorders and, you know, hardware sequencers um, and, and, and you know, have hardware sequencers triggering LFOs, triggering things, triggering other things, triggering this, using clocks. And that's kind of like, like my world is still a lot of analog clock triggering things. Um, mm -hmm because that's kind of why I like to do it because I think it has a different sound. But um, yeah, I totally get that the fact that production is intimidating because you know even if you get really good, there's always some recording engineer that's probably better than you. Um, but so, so there's like, there's always somebody that could take your sound and, and even you see this with big professional bands, like they can have one producer and one set of recording engineers they do the record and then they say, ah, that's not, that's not cutting it. They give it to another recording engineer and then suddenly we change the whole thing. And so it's like, it is an art into itself, but you know, in today's world where you can't get to the studio and you don't have the money to get to the studio, um, yeah. you know, if you have Ableton or Pro Tools or any of these, you know, logic, you, you can do a lot of work and you can get it to a point where it's like, it's hard to really push like, well, how much better could it get in, in some cases, like if you're really dedicated. And I, and I think the other thing about it, and you can tell me, is like when you control that much of how your music is being done, then your vision is closer to what you want. Yeah. You exactly. want it to be, right? Yeah, exactly. That was my first problem, actually. Uh, like... This is why I pushed myself to use uh, the AW mm -hmm. because I was like, okay, I have songs out there. They are not 
what I want. Like they don't sound uh, the way you want. As I want them. I don't feel like they have any uh, special things in them. So I push myself to be able to create something. I'm still searching for what my style should be. Mm -hmm. Actually, so trying to build your sound. Like, like I think everybody. That's probably one thing I'd ask you. Like, so, so in terms of your influences and your reference points, like, who do you listen to that inspires like how you write music? Can you kind of name check some of the people that you you kind of look up to in music, and not that you want to clone them, but you're inspired by them? Yeah, like, uh, okay, my biggest influencer was when I was ten was the Queen. Mm -hmm. With their change, uh, game-changing uh, sound uh, designs, and with everything they did to the music industry, like what they brought, they brought classical music to yeah. pop music, and this is yeah, eight-minute songs. <laughs> like when you you can, uh, it doesn't matter if you're someone who who never learned music or you're a professional musician, you mm -hmm. will say that, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, it's like the art rock. It's kind of like what the Who did, right? The Who were into rock opera. They created Tommy and Quadrophenia, but Queen took it because Freddie Mercury is like a Bowie. You know, he's got this larger than life character and he got this larger than life voice. And then when you saw him on stage, like during Bohemian Rhapsody, if you have, yeah. look at his look during Bohemian Rhapsody, it's like very theatrical. It's very Bowie. You know, it's kind of like Ziggy. But then he's like got this operatic voice and he's got this kind of theatric character. So when you listen to Bohemian Rhapsody and you see him on stage, you're like, wow. You're just totally drawn into the fact that he's got this hyper character, like, like an actor. And I think that's what some people don't get. Like in music that kind of Bowie theatrics that you get from a Freddie Mercury, you get from a Prince, you get from a Lady Gaga, that there's a place in music for theatrical capability, right? That, that, that Freddie was like the king of that, queen of that. You know, it's just, he just had this unbelievable stage presence. That it's like, it's like, like it's the Elvis on steroids. It's like, it's just way beyond, beyond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is exactly what I feel about uh, Queen and Freddie Mercury too. Then the second one, who had a very very big effect on my music taste, was Michael Jackson. But mm -hmm. shame on me. I, as I said, I listened to rock music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until I was thirteen, so I didn't. I I knew who Michael Jackson was. That he was mm -hmm. a king of pop. But I, frankly, didn't know almost any songs of him and mm -hmm. then when he died he went back like okay let's check it why was he so big mm -hmm. and then I, he just drew me in well life. i kind of it was interesting with mike was i grew up in the 70s so i knew him as a kid in the jackson five and the jackson five was like the king of all like boy bands you know <laughs> and it was like the thing was it's like they had so much talent they had this motown sound right they had all these Motown songwriters who were writing them like hits, right? And then they're playing them. 
right? So they're actually playing instruments. And then Michael's voice as a kid is like unbelievable, right? And then you're like, so the early Jackson 5 stuff, to me, that's what I heard from Michael first. And then when he did like Off the Wall, that was like, man, he totally changed. Because there was a big thing when his voice changed that people thought, well, he's yeah. all done, right? They A lot of people in the industry thought he was done. Because they say, well, he's just a child star. He's never going to make it cross over. Yeah. And child yeah. stars usually don't cross over. And then suddenly the thing about Michael is like he was a big child star, super big. And then suddenly he became in his like teens and 20s a star again, you know, and then he, you know, went off the wall and then Thriller just put it through the stratosphere, you know, he's like, so he had like three phases and it's like, wow, it's like that, that usually doesn't happen. I mean, the Beatles had multiple phases, but yeah, that, that's kind of rare. Yeah. So when I, whenever I listen to his music lately, I, I try to listen to modern music like Ed um, Sheeran, Shawn Mendes, Billy Eilish, mm. because of the mm. sound design, how to yeah. imagine for myself what I want to create because like oh, only from the producer perspective. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a good idea. Let's say I sat in the car and uh, I listened to a retro radio and um, he bed was uh, on the play. Mm -hmm. it was like oh my god this there's some really cool synthesizer stuff in there i mean the cool thing about michael yeah. he's got like he's got funk he's got really interesting synthesizer programming there actually was like a, a very unique synthesizer that was used on the beginning of bad it's like yeah. a really rare synth it's actually hard to find um and it's actually a preset that's on that synth and in the beginning of that song is, is, is running that preset. But you, the thing is, like, that preset is hard to find on other synths. People tend to sample it because they can't find it, can't get it. Um, I think it was like a synclover. But um, it, it's like there's some – because I'm a synthesis. So one thing I'm into is, like, I'm into, like, synthesizer history. Like, early Moogs, ARP 2600s, Prophets, Oberheims, you know, old Korgs, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, unique – modular sense because I find that synthesizers have character like guitars. Like you could pick up a 55 Les Paul or a Telecaster or a Rickenbacker. They all guitars have character, but like if you go look into modes, right? You look at mini mini modes from 72 and mini mode from 77, they don't sound the same, right? So so I'm like a Hammond B3, like Yamaha pianos and stuff. I'm into actual hardware sense and hardware like instruments when it comes to like keyboards and stuff because they have character and i like to use that character in my music now it's expensive to do that and not everybody gets to do that but like you know um part of what what i like to do is actually deal with the hardware just because i think it has a different sound um than what the software has but um so how i got into it was always on hardware you know physical mm -hmm. synth synthesizers but yeah um and other influencers as i said already are for me ed sheeran oh yeah i can hear that i can hear that and what you're doing i was trying to think of the people that, that that i hear in your voice i do hear that um yeah and i hear some like uh justin timberlake um 
Justin Timberlake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you kind of got this kind of male pop. Your super pop yeah. kind of, it kind of what you're going for. Tells me this all the time, actually. <laughs> but it's not a bad place to be because that is like a staple in American pop music. It's like that kind of, it kind of goes back to Elvis, this idea of the, like the, 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 the American pop star, you know, yeah. and um, it's a, a certain feel. And it's interesting because they're always kind of pulled from R&B and hip hop, but then they're kind of like an Elvis <clears throat> or they're like a Buddy Holly. You always have like this, like, you know, g guy who ends up getting to be like the king of pop, yeah. like in a different way, like the way Michael was. You get Justin trying to do the same thing. You get, you know, people trying to do that. But yeah, I think it's um it's a cool place to aspire to be, that kind of pop zone. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's a different thing. Like I'm more of an experimental musician. So I'm I'm kind of into like progressive jazz and bands like Yes and Genesis and ELO and yeah, it's a different type of space. But I, I understand like every, even bands like that want to make a pop song. Once in a while, you get a band like Yes or Genesis don't have a pop song, even though they have songs that are like 10 minutes long. Like Queen. Queen will have eight minute long songs and then they'll have the three minute song, right? So it's like everybody aspires to try to get that that hit. Uh, I have a better <laughs> example. Like, uh, do you know the band uh, Five Finger Death Punch? Oh, yeah, I know them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they have a pop song too. Because it's just something yeah. that everybody needs to have. Well, everybody aspires <laughs> to it. It's like the Beatles. I mean, to me, the pop music is kind of born from the Beatles, right? The idea that you can that you can use the studio. And then, I think this is the thing about it. If you think about, like, um, you know, George Martin, right? Mm -hmm. There was this famous statement. I watched a documentary with George Martin. He said, I could have recorded the Beatles like they played in Berlin, right? And we did for a while. And then we decided, you know, we're going to use this, the studio like a painter uses the canvas. So I don't necessarily want to re replicate the reality of the Beatles playing in Berlin. I want them to actually be like Monet. So I'm going to create a sound painting, right? So the idea of using the studio for effects and backward tape loops and all kinds of like layering kind of came out of George Martin had actually worked on Peter Sellers com comic albums like comedy records and on these comedy records they had multi-track recordings with orchestras sound effects backward tape loops all kinds of stuff and and it was interesting the beatles actually liked george martin's work on these comedy records and so when they came to sergeant peppers they said well why don't we take some of those techniques that you did on the comedy records and do it for for music and create like these soundscapes a sound paintings with all this layering and backward tape loops and all these ideas are not normal pop music. And now these are all techniques that people can do in a DAW and you can, you can build all this stuff. And it kind of comes out of this idea that you can, you can make a band sound like something they couldn't sound like live. Like if you just go out with your acoustic guitar, you can't sound like you do after you go through the DAW unless you run it as a backing track. You know, <laughs> but but it's, it's the idea that you can sound more than what reality is. You know, you, you can build all this stuff, shadowed yeah. vocals and all kinds of layers, multiple vocal layers that allow you to make your studio song different than what you could actually sing. 
you know, they do a live performance may not ever match exactly the studio, but it's a different thing, right? You're going for a different thing when you do that studio record versus playing live, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree. I think this is why electronical instrument uh, got such a big place in the music industry right now, because as you said, acoustic instruments, uh, well, we're trying to reproduce them, like remake them, how they sound live when we're recording them. But we just, it's very difficult and we can't when we are quite honest, because it mm -hmm. sounds quite different live. But if it's an electrical instrument, like a synthesizer or anything like that, any sound of a synthesizer, then it's actually, it feels like it's live because it's live in the mm -hmm. song. Because it's not a live instrument. It's an instrument that's made for uh, music production. And this is why I, I'm, I just started diving into this part of music production, actually. I'm, uh, I'm quite like a beginner. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you can go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> when you get into synthesizers, like I'm, I'm, I'm into analog, digital sampling synthesizers. So I've got like old school analog modes and profits and Rollins. And then I've got modern granular synthesis and uh, wave file synthesis synthesizers and, you know, you know, different types of technology. You got FM like DX7 type synthesizers. Uh, you've got, you know, you know, like D50 linear synthesis synthesizers, subtractive synthesis synthesizers, Buchla additive synthesis. I'm totally into all types of synthesis. I can, I create tones from scratch on my modes and stuff. I'll go from the waveform through the through the oscillator to the filter to the envelopes to all that. And um, it's kind of like where I live because to make my sound, I just, I don't go buy it off the web. I kind of go into my synth and I build it. Um, it's a different type of thing. It's kind of what we used to do. Uh, and it seems to be coming back. There's more and more people getting Euro racks, more and more people going and finding Moogs and, or finding Rollins or little Euro rack synths and building their own thing. Um, Cause it, it, what's cool is like then you get no more, no copyright strikes against you. you it's your own sound. It kind of helps you be distinguished from other bands. Like, cause then then you can really craft it. Now the cool thing is the DAWs have these things where you can actually do the same thing. You can go into the DAW and you can do sound design. You don't have to just take clips. You can actually build sounds. It's a little difficult, um, but but it, yeah. Is that what you're getting into now? <laughs> no, no, no. This is one of my favorite thing actually right now. I just uh, made a, I reproduced uh, Billie Eilish, uh, she's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And the most interesting thing for me was to make this sound they had in the bass line. Oh yeah, you're trying and, to get that bass. Yeah, and actually there is a synthesizer in Ableton Live and it's not the same as in the original because I hear it's not the same, but, but it's quite on the spot, like in the zone. Really cool. And it's like, I felt like 
Oh, that's really cool. Because I this was the actually the first time that I tried to create my own sound like through a synthesizer. And that's it cool. felt so amazing that it's like it's it's addictive. Great. I think yes, it, like if you, get it, if you get into it, it's very addictive. The problem with synthesizer designers, right, is you're gonna build a you, you start to write a song, and then you spend ten hours trying to get the tone. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even get to the chords, right? I spend ten hours just trying to get the tone, and then it's like so. Then my songwriting takes forever because I spent all my time trying to get the kick, trying to get the right tom trying to get the right bass, trying to get the right like pad. And then like yeah. I spent all my time doing that. And it's like, well, then I got then it's like four I, minutes to do the song, but I spent 10 hours doing the song. <laughs> I don't try to create kicks. I use samples for kicks, but still it's like I started a challenge last uh, yesterday. And there's a there's a like a to-do list. And one uh, thing is to do is to create music one hour uh, per day without getting distracted from anything. Oh, so you're giving yourself like a practice time, rehearsal yeah. time. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing to do. Half an hour <laughs> was just to make my bass. Tone. <laughs> like yeah, how that's I the problem. Start. And yeah. then I was like, okay, I have to hurry. <laughs> yeah, to hurry for the rest hour. of it. That's why I heard a band one time. There was this band from um, Colorado called Tennis, right? And um, they got a guitar drummer, and he was saying he spends all his time trying to get the, the percussion right. Like, and when he built the song, he said he'll spend like two months trying to get the percussion and the drum lines down, right? And he's a guitar player. And then he said, Well, how much time do you do spend on the guitar? He's like, Well, I probably spend like two hours on the guitar lick and I spent like two months on the drums and so it, it, the thing is that like, he's a really good guitar player and you maybe you think it would be the opposite they would spend more time on the guitar part but, but I guess he feels so comfortable with the guitar that it just comes natural and once he's got the drum down then he doesn't worry about it and he kind of just goes with whatever the muse gives him um so he's kind of wondering like when you write a song does it take you a lot of time to kind of get the feel? Do you kind of have a situation where I've talked to bands, I say, you know what, the first or second or third take of this song is really what it is. Or do you end up taking like multiple takes? It takes a long time to kind of figure out what you want. Um, at the beginning, like one year ago, <laughs> I started making takes like continuously and always ended up almost always ended up like being uh, bad and nowadays I try to concentrate uh, to like warm up my voice uh, and and then start singing and it usually still takes like three takes at least mm -hmm. yeah I find what happens like if you go with like the 10th or 20th take then it doesn't even sound like what you're trying to do. Like yeah. a, a, a lot of times, like if you have a band, right, and they just keep on going at it and they do a hundred takes, you go back and the third or fourth take, maybe even the first, actually is the best one. And the problem is, is like, it might have mistakes in it, right? 
And the thing I always tell people is like, if you go back in music history, a lot of classic records actually have mistakes in them. Right. Yes, and people were, were, people were willing to say, you know what? It ended up being that that version is so honest. That version is so good that even if we've got the error, it's actually better than what we did before after. And they, they yeah. kind of live with it and they, and they kind of accepted it. And I think that's where one the thing as a producer, that's the thing you have to kind of learn over time that you trust your intuition that sometimes like a vocal might not be the best quality, but the performance is so good that you use that version, you know, um, cause that, that version is going to be the best version for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. so I think I got to check my brain. <laughs> I heard a rumor about Eminem and mm -hmm. how he records, like how many takes he does. And I heard something like 50 or 60 sometimes. Yeah, it's a little too much. Want to do his best and he's like, he doesn't stop. He won't stop. He <laughs> just go, keep on going and then he, it takes. Just, just, like just keep on with that thought. I just have to check my battery for a second. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So yeah, this is, this is like something quite interesting. Okay. All right. I think I'm good. Sorry about that. No problem. Can you hear me? My plug uh, was not all the way in. <laughs> and I didn't want our podcast to get cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah so um uh, yeah i think we're just... getting kind of near the end of the podcast but uh i think it's been really cool talking to you because um you got an interesting perspective and it's the you know, interest you know the cool thing about this podcast i get i talked last week to a to an artist from latvia um i've, I've talked to artists from like sweden and berlin um, a lot of a lot of artists, you know, it's not. You know, I just live in the United States in a little place like in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, so you know, it's it's really cool that we live in this world now, where a producer in New Hampshire, USA, can talk to somebody in Hungary, you know, and then you, your my audience gets to expose to your music, uh, and then the other producers that I talk to. One of the cool thing that happens is like. Most of the people who are on the show are like, or listen to the show are musicians and producers. Um, and so my audience is a, a whole collective of producers and musicians. And every time I talk to another person, they get introduced to that. And in some cases, we've had people uh, collaborate um, based on, oh, they found somebody on this on my channel. They were interested in what you were doing. And then they 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 reach out to you. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think that's the, that's the whole thing. You said you're in a collective anyway, right? You're in a group of other musicians and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am because I'm very open-minded for collaborating. I actually am trying to make a project with different artists from different genres too. That's cool. So, but. Probably for 2022. <laughs> but well, yeah. I, am, I am kind of putting this out there with everybody I talk to. One thing we want to do um, in the future is actually have like an online festival 
where every artist that we've talked to actually mm -hmm. does a performance in a show. We call it like a family, like the ghost festival or something. Mm -hmm. And like everybody I've interviewed gets to actually perform like mm -hmm. on, on this channel or something. So we, you, you, you do it from a stage or you do it from your home studio. Everybody does like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And we have like maybe a two hour show or a mm -hmm. three hour show with a bunch of bands. Um, and we're thinking that and I probably even play um, my stuff, but um, yeah, it's just the idea that cause it's just like, it's like a collective, like what we have here is a music community. And um, now we're doing the video version yeah, it's kind of cool that we could think of actually proposing that. So if you're into that, it's something we're thinking of going into uh, later this year or going into 2022 as well. Yeah, that would be pretty nice, I, I have to say. I, Most musicians want to play if they get a chance stream. to play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I love live performances, actually, because I think it has a different kind of uh, influence on the audience, on the uh, public. And and I really miss this, actually. Yeah, so I mean, have you not been able to perform because of the pandemic that you're still kind of not, in some places like in the world are allowing artists to perform, but are you, in, are you in hungry or you're having an issue where you still can't do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have actually a very big issue with Corona right now. So yeah, we do I too. See, I see <laughs> the near future that we have. Yeah, we're we're kind of in a bad situation because we got people that want to go to the bar and they want to go to a restaurant and they want to do this and they want to do that and they just keep on spreading it and it's, and then what happens is they or they let people go and then they lock it down and then they then they then they then they say okay. We'll open it again, and my whole thing is, well, did you did you get make sure everybody took the vaccine? Like, no. So, why did you think that wasn't going to happen? <laughs> it's kind of like you keep on doing the same thing, and then you wonder why you get the same result. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yeah. you don't. If people aren't vaccinated, they're probably going to still get it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's not going to just magically go away, but um. So I'm hoping, like, I'm supposed to be vaccinated soon, so, but, you know, even then, the venues aren't going to be, 50, they're going to be, like, 25%, maybe 30% capacity they're talking about. So then it's, like, so online is still a place where I like to live. I, I do a lot of online for my home studio. Mm -hmm. It's something I've been doing since, like, 2016, before the pandemic. I always like to do online performances. So is that something that you're thinking of doing? Yeah, this is actually something I was thinking of. Uh, I should have a live concert on the 14th of April, like a cool live on Twitch. <laughs> live on Twitch, yeah, yeah, I do that. Twitch is a yeah. good place. I like, like Twitch because um, they let you do a nice landscape. Yeah. They, they, they like some platforms don't do very good landscape. You know, not to tell, not to name them. <laughs> but but Twitch actually has really good audio quality and very good picture, really, you know, really good picture views in the camera. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of good things about it. I do like that platform. Yeah, me too. So, and actually this is what I was thinking of that I do this more often from now on because it's like, I want to perform, uh, but I can't do it live. So I have to do it from home. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually invested in like multiple cameras. And so now I'm using like a Zoom Q8 right now. And I've got my iPhone, I got tripods. And the next thing I'm investing in is like this Roland mixer. There's a Roland make multiple video mixers. And what's cool about them is if you start doing live performance, as they have this thing called like a round robin. So if you get multi, if you get like three cameras, the Roland mixer can automatically round robin through all the cameras while you're performing. And you can set when it's gonna do it. And it will actually, so you could have a camera that's like zoomed in on you playing a guitar, right? You could have a camera that's zoomed in on a keyboard. You'd have a, like a wide shot and then it will go and it'll run all those different mixes live without you having to, if you're just one person, right? You don't have to have somebody doing it. It actually does it. Yeah. And so I was looking into that. I said, well, I need that. <laughs> yeah. that sounds pretty amazing, actually. Well, my budget for traveling, like I would spend money to get a U-Haul to go to New York, right? I would get, mm -hmm. spend money to have roadies go help me bring my stuff to Boston. So since I can't do that, maybe I should invest in that and then maybe be able to have a good enough show that I can ask people to donate uh, and get, you know, advertisers and stuff on it. So it's like you increase the quality of your live stream by having multiple cameras, by having a green screen, by like running like effects on the green screen. So if yeah. you invest in stuff like that and you think about it, like even when things are back to normal, those are good things to have because then you could create videos, you could, you know, engage your audience on YouTube. I think one of the things as a musician in this world, the way we're on all these streaming services, if you can engage an audience on YouTube or Twitch or Instagram and you do it regularly, you can build up your fan base and then you can sell them merch, you can sell them tickets, you can get them knowing what you're doing. And so it's not a bad idea to go that way. No, absolutely not, actually. I was thinking of the two. That's cool. Uh, so to make like uh, live performances after post corona too. Sometimes like live, I mean, like, you know what I mean by live, not live. But like more <laughs> like you're doing a performance from your home studio or you're doing something yeah. to engage your fans. Because like, even if you like engage your fans by say, hey, I'm going to cook today and make some cookies, right? And so then they get to see you like a human being, right? And they see you making cookies, right? Or they see yeah. you like writing poetry, right? So it's like, oh, this episode, I'm not even going to get into music. I'm just going to read my lyrics, like a poem, right? Yeah. They, they, you just do different things to engage your audience, and then that makes you more real. And then yeah. you, you, you'll you tend to get a following of people who say, oh, this guy's cool. He's doing different stuff, you know? Yeah. Even though I don't want my audience to learn my bad recipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the cooking not the best example, you know. You could have other things you want to do. Uh, but um, like if you're into skateboarding, it's like, watch me fall down on my skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, tricks I, I couldn't do a show. But, trick. <laughs> I can't show tricks, but I can fall very nicely. <laughs> yeah, I could do that for you. I could do a little Chevy Chase do the fall, Pratt fall, you know. <laughs> Maybe I could go viral, actually. <laughs> but, you know, you got to make that TikTok video with some weird effect of some nonsensical thing, right? 
So you make some, you, you, you take your studio effects, right? You, you make some thing. It doesn't even make any sense. Half of the stuff, that's what it is. It's like, so you just sit there and say, oh, what? And you make some weird sound effect and you go, it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's like, okay, maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> so my daughter showed me all these TikToks. And I'm like, maybe I'm too old because I'm in my 50s. I'm just like, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't understand it. Why are you watching that? And like, I don't get it. So it's like, it's like, maybe I need to watch it more so I can understand it. <laughs> Actually, I like TikTok videos. Like, they are funny for me too. Yeah, they're funny. <laughs> I mean, that, that's why I didn't really get it. And then I said, oh, it's like Saturday Night Live. It's like, it's comedy. I, I didn't initially, <laughs> I didn't get it. I was like, what is this? And I said, oh, now I get it. It's trying to be funny. It's okay. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But um, thank you for being on the show, Christoph. I think it's really cool. And um, and if, if you've got another project coming down the pike, when you if you've got an EP or albums or anything, we like to have people come on the show multiple times. We have a guest. Last year, we had all these guests that were on our audio show, and now we're bringing them on the video show. So, mm -hmm. like I said, the next thing is we want to do something and you want to actually perform, like, for 20 minutes or something. You want to show a new song. You want to do something like that. Let us know. We could, you know, you could be the first one to try that idea out. <laughs> and, and it's like when you're, yeah, when you're ready to do something like that, let us know. And we could set something up. And, uh, yeah. you know, we'll test it out. And take it, make sure it's cool, and then uh, and then we'll do it. Yeah, that's great. And I want to say thank you to uh, too because it's uh, really great and a very big uh, honor for me to be able to give uh, an interview to you, and it was fun. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Chris. We we love talking to musicians. That's why we like you know the reason we're a musician is because we like music. Right, and so we listen to other musicians. That's kind of we're, we're the first thing we are is like a fan, um, and then the next thing you know we're getting into music our own stuff. But I, I think it's really cool in this time to be able to reach out to people across the world and 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 have an audience hear, you know, what your music is about. So I, I encourage everybody to look at the links. This is going to be permanently on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook. You know, look at the links we have here, go to the artist sites um, and, and, you know, support the artists you like by listening to the music, playlisting their music, put them on your own playlist, put them out to your friends. That's how we get things going in the music world. So engage with the artists you like. Thank you very much for being on the show again, Christoph. Thank you, too. Have a nice day. You too.